0: It's day 72 of 100 Days of Podcast. So, welcome back. If you're a regular listener, anyway, uh, welcome in if you're new here. I am your host, Heather. We have just started a new set of topics of things that I have been learning more and more about recently. Yesterday, we talked about neurodiversity. I will probably uh, go back and, uh, do a better episode for you. Cause I probably did a poor job at, at explaining. Um, so I'll, I will work on that and do a better podcast after the hundred days is over. And then I can dig a little deeper, go a little longer, maybe even have a guest, um, come on and talk about neurodiversity and what it means. Um, and, and all of that. So, um, thank you, uh, for, for going through that just very quick thing yesterday, uh, today, we are going to talk about a book that I just finished. It's called Divergent Mind, Thriving in a World That Wasn't Designed for You. Uh, It was written by Janara, uh, I just had her last name, sorry, Uh, Janara uh, Nirenberg, Nirenberg, one of those two. Uh, She is a journalist um, and so she you know, wrote this book after, you know, doing some, doing some research and and we'll get into that in just a second. Let me, let's start with the definition. She starts, that's how she starts the book. Uh, she gives us the definition of the word divergent, which is an adjective meaning tending to be different or develop in different directions. And in the introduction, uh, she talks about how she began like to study this topic, like how this became a topic that was, um, you know kind of top of mind for her and um let me find um let me find the spot that I wanted to share with you let's see boop boo. Boop. Okay all right I think about it sorry <laughs> sorry I looked at it on my on my Kindle app on my phone And then I can't look at my Kindle app while I record, so I now have it on my iPad, and so I kind of lost my place. My bad, y'all. I wrote down page two, but there's a lot of words on page two. Um, So she's talking about, um, you know, she had been um, looking at some different, um, like, articles and stuff that had been published about how... um, like adult women were being overlooked in research about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and autism. And there was um, like an article published that she was, she was really fascinated by. And then she says, like, I think Facebook was listening um, because all of a sudden articles started and books started popping up in her newsfeed about women with ADHD and Asperger, uh, Asperger syndrome and uh, about the highly sensitive person. And she said, I started seeing new research coming out about the mental health challenges of high achieving women. And I was transfixed, captivated, utterly glued to what I was reading. And I'll be honest, that's, that's kind of how it was with this book. And I really, I have this book on Audible and I have this book on Kindle. I really want this book in print (laughs) so so that I can like read it and highlight in it. I just, I am really a print kind of person. Kindle for like, nonfiction, not nonfiction, Kindle for fiction, um, and, in audio for, for fiction and biographies or to listen and read along in a nonfiction book, nonfiction books for me need to be paper. Okay. Anyway, sorry, digress. Uh, but be, it says because it turned out that I wasn't alone, study after study indicated high rates of depression and anxiety among successful women and other traits like ADHD and autism were beginning to surface as well. She said, I had never thought of these before, but I couldn't deny that what I was reading was resonating with me. I was sensitive. I liked talking about only a few select topics, people, psychology, and inner life, my special interest. Logistics might as well uh, have been an alien language. And the word masking kept jumping out at me um, as describing an experience that I didn't realize or want to admit to. So I began this book by sharing a kind of confusion that plagued me at the time, feeling a feeling of shock and dissonance, but also of hope and relief. Could I be on some kind of sensory spectrum like the autism spectrum or do I have ADHD? Both seemed likely, but I didn't seek out assessment diagnosis confirmation or anything of the like. Instead, I turned to research news articles and countless interviews and stories with women who sounded a lot like me. Um, And so that's, that's kind of the, the first section of her introduction And before we we get into the next section, I do want to say that, like, I I can't lie and say that I don't relate to a lot of things that she says in this book, especially what she says um, right there at the end, right? So that thought of like, could I be on some sensory spectrum, like the autism spectrum? Or did I have ADHD? Those are questions I've been asking myself a lot lately. Um, I don't know. I, I don't really know what's, What's kind of happened to bring some of this to light? Um, some of the thoughts that I've had is maybe because I'm actually at a place um, with my job where I don't have a bazillion things on my plate, and I can actually like, take the time and just and work through one, like you know, one role. Um, maybe you know, maybe now my, my brain's not so filled up with things that like there's room on the plate and like things are starting to come like surface um they were always there but like becoming more prominent to me and and so and and maybe I you know maybe I don't have ADHD and maybe I'm not on any any type of spectrum but there are enough things for me that I've noticed about myself in listening to people um, at work, that have neurodiversity, in reading articles about it, in reading and listening to this book, that I have begun the process to find someone that I can meet with to do testing for things like ADHD. Um, I talked to my counselor about it, and she was like, "I think it's a good idea. You should probably go and, and reach out and find somebody to to do that testing for you." So as I go through this journey, um, I do plan to share what I find out. Um, I think going through journey going through things like this are scary for people. It's scary and it's not scary. Like I'm, I'm scared for them to say that I have, uh, that I have something. It's, it's more like, it's just that fear of the unknown. Like, okay, what are the tests? What's the test like? What are, what's your experience with the doctors and what kind of doctor is it? And who do you need to see? And how do you need to do it? And what do you like? It's that kind of like fear of the unknown stuff that for me that, that's kind of what I'm going through right now and processing in my head. And, and I'm, I'm lucky that I have, um, some really good friends that, that I can talk to about it and feel comfortable talking to them about it. Um, and I have a counselor that I see, um, and I can talk to her about it. And so, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, share as I go along this journey with you or bring you along on the journey anyways. Um, You get what I mean. Okay, Um, so that's, that's, there's my little, like, caveat to, like, let you know, like, kind of how, why this is a topic that's really important to me right now. Like, why it is something that's very top of mind for me. So, the next thing in the book that she talks about is masking. Um, and this refers to an unconscious or conscious effort to hide or cover one one's own self from the world as an attempt to accommodate others and coexist. So that's the definition she uses in the book. And she wrote, "When society is not equipped to hold an accurate mirror up to you, you end up interpreting your reflection according to the according to available lenses, structures, and terminology, but they're often wrong, misleading, or even worse." harmful and so let me find I need page five okay yep so this is the um this will be the next part that I read and I'm gonna probably end with this just for time's sake we'll talk a little bit more about some of the other things she talks about in the book tomorrow okay let me find my spot I did give myself some writing clues in my notes here we go Uh, She says, when some of us end up in a therapist or doctor's office with anxiety, depression, or autoimmune autoimmune health challenges, our options are limited to talk therapy or medication because only these outer layers of emotion and behavior are probed. We have we've been going about our lives and professions thinking we know the full list of pot- of possible diagnostic criteria, but the senses have been left out of it, and thus a very core component of what makes people who they are, uh, a core component of what makes people who they are, uh, goes completely untended. Um, many people. Think of outdated stereotyped images when they consider autism and ADHD, and it's important to remember that there is a spectrum of experiences. It's likely that these labels could apply to people in your own life, um, perhaps your boss, neighbor, friend, or family member, or even you. Uh, what I see as fundamentally missing from the conversation is a rallying point around diversity in how individuals process sensory in- input and specifically recognizing a broad occurrence of heightened sensitivity. So some people may be fine leaving this discussion at what it has already, been expertly explored uh, by Elaine Aaron in her 1996 book, The Highly Sensitive Person, How to Thrive When the World Overwhelms You, but I'm not. I want psychology and psychiatry to take sensitivity concerns further because of how they affect people's work, family life, education, economic opportunities, intimacy, and parenting. The public and professional's need to understand that people with sensory differences such as autism and ADHD and a few other neurodivergent traits we will learn about in this book such as sensory processing disorder SPD, HSP, highly sensitive person, um, or synesthesia which is where you experience heightened sensitivity across the board and these differences affect nearly every aspect of our lives. Um, Many such neurodivergent women are suffering as many times these traits occur along with anxiety and depression, especially if the underlying sensory differences go undiagnosed. The full scope of such differences, which often merit a diagnosis, is often unknown not only to friends and family, but also to the women themselves. And this this is what I find really fascinating because she's really focusing on how women have not been um, looked at, like, uh, she, she goes on to say that there's an entire demographic of women now being referred to as a lost generation because an extensive amount of depression and anxiety surface, um, as a result of internal experiences that don't match up with what the world expects or how the world views such women since they normally, uh, since they appear to function normally on the outside this lack of awareness and understanding of this lack of awareness and understanding is largely due to neglect on the part of researchers because study samples often rely on streamlined populations of men therefore doctors therapists teachers and police officers don't know what a woman with adhd asperger's uh, synesthesia spd or highly sensitive might look like and that's in quotes look like or how she might act As a result, thousands of women have no name for their life experiences and feelings. And I think that's, I think that's really what, you know, what kind of what drives me to learn more, um, not only about myself, but about others and how to, and how to show up better for people who are neurodivergent um, and make sure that I'm, and you know, I, I make training programs at work. And so making sure that I'm doing, you know, making those so that they are a good fit for for people who are uh, neurodivergent, who have some of these things, making sure that when we put out content, that it's serving those audiences well. Because I was in a, I was in a training today, actually, and they were talking about the number of people who have um, some sort of, like, I can't remember, I don't think they call it disability, but... Um, maybe they did but but disorder disability but they're talking about um, needy the needs for accessibility so hearing visual motor or cognitive um, so those four like buckets of accessibility needs and they were talking about the amount of people that do suffer um, from or have one of those needs one or more of those um, accessibility needs it doesn't make up you know, it's, it's not just a small part of the population. It's a very large part of the population. It's, it's a whole, I mean, Oh, I wish I could remember the exact words that they used because it was so good, but it was basically like, it's a demographic, right? It's not just a couple of people. You may not work with anybody that you know of, but they also talked about how a lot of these things are hidden. You don't know. And especially in the virtual space that we work in, it's very difficult unless somebody tells you, you may never know that somebody you work with is, um, you know, suffers from colorblindness, suffers, uh, is in a wheelchair, is, um, you know, maybe they have hearing loss, or they have, you know, ADHD or autism. You may not know that, because it's, it's hidden in so many different ways, whether they're masking some of it, right? We talked about that, right? Some people will mask it so that you can't see it. Um, or just you can't physically see it because you don't work with them in person day by day. You just see them on a video camera and you may not know, you know, if, and I think about somebody, like if somebody is in a wheelchair, I wouldn't know. It wouldn't, wouldn't matter to me, right? But that would be, to me, that would be a hidden disability. Like that would be a hidden, um, a disability that I couldn't see in a virtual space. It wouldn't matter, but I would need to make sure, hey, are we putting something together for our team? And I need to make sure that we're taking the steps to make sure everybody feels included. You know, and so it, it's those kind of things that really have started to, where my mind is starting to go and, really want to dig into and learn more about. So I hope you're excited to be on this journey with me um, and, and hopefully we can learn something together. Um, like I said, I am uh, I'm very interested in, in going through this process um, of trying to find a, a doctor um, to go to and to talk about. I actually just changed primary care doctor's Uh, Because my doctor uh, moved to a different organization, she moved to the VA, so I can't see her anymore. Um, So I'm going through that whole process of even just changing primary doctors. So I get to have like start having all of these conversations. And it's hard to do that. Even if I was going to see my, the the doctor I've been seeing for the last year and a half, it was still going to be a hard conversation for me to figure out like how to ask, how do I talk about it? how do I ask about getting tested for ADHD and, and some other things? You know, so that was why like my first, the first person I asked was my, was my counselor, you know, because I was like, well, she'll have some insight because it's typically, you know, a psychiatrist, um, that will do those, do that testing for you. So like as a counselor, she will know kind of what direction to point me. And she's been working with me for several years. So she'll know how, you know she'll know if i if if she feels like it's warranted um you know she can she can help guide me in that, but even talking to her, even though I've known her for several years and I know our conversations are confidential, it was a still it was still a hard question to ask because it's almost like you open the door, you don't know what's behind it um you don't know what you're walking into. And it's, you know, when I think about it, right, like, like I said earlier in the podcast, I'm not scared about being diagnosed with anything. I'm not scared about not being diagnosed at all. And it just being Heather, it's just you. (laughs) It's just how you are. Um, I'm not scared of, of either outcome. It's that it's the fear of the process and being patient it's like walking, walking in a door, you know, walking into a room that's pitch black, and everything you need is in there, but you've got to find. You have to go through the dark to find one thing that turns on a little light, to find another thing that turns on a bigger light, to find another thing that turns on a bigger light. That's the feeling that I have, and when I ask the question. Uh, to my counselor about the poss, you know, should I ask my doctor about getting tested? That was me opening the door, and so here we are. I've opened the door, and I'm standing in the complete, not complete darkness, because i reached out through work, through our find a doctor, um, you know, message board uh, uh, thing that we have. I can't even think of what it's called. But I, I reached out through there to get some assistance in finding somebody that could that could help me. So so I've turned on a tea light. So I've so I've 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 turned on an electric tea light so far. The room is still very dark. I still have a very long way to go. But it's but the journey has started. So um I know I ran over today, but I I really felt like this was something I wanted to talk about, share with you. Um, I hope that uh, you find value in this. I hope that you um, are, are good to continue on with my journey um, as I as I work through these things. I know it's a long process; it's not fast, so uh, we'll work through it together. But. Uh, until I see you, uh, see you, uh, (laughs) audibly see you tomorrow. Remember that you are loved, you are worthy, and there are great things ahead for you in this life. If you trust and believe in the Lord, we'll see you tomorrow. Bye.